true believers. Uh, what is more dangerous than a man without fear? A man without fear who's lost it all. Today we're going to talk about Daredevil doing time on Detecting the Marvelous. Doing doing better than Daredevil, I gotta say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's hitting uh, some hard times, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, Lainey, uh, you have a a bit of a background for uh, to share with us about uh, Daredevil. Yes, that's right. Hornhead, the man without fear, the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Today, we are talking about none other than Daredevil. He was created in. April 1964 by Stan Lee and artist Bill Everett with input from Jack Kirby, who actually designed his famous Billy Club. Um, funnily enough, Bill Everett only illustrated the first issue of Daredevil before being fired from Marvel, which I will get into later. Um, Daredevil's alias Matthew Michael Murdoch is a lawyer and he grew up in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, his origin was he's blinded by radioactive goo that falls from an out-of-control truck after he pushes a man out of the way of a vehicle. Um, while the substance blinds him, it also heightens his other senses beyond normal human ability. He's then raised by his dad, boxer, battling Jack Murdoch, who tries to instill in him the importance of education and nonviolence, um, but is unfortunately killed after throwing a match which kind of sends Matt Murdock on his way to becoming the superhero he is. Uh, in terms of appear appearances, uh, he's appeared in several animated series and video games. The first live action portrayal was by Rex Smith in the TV film uh, The Trial of Incredible Hulk in 1989, then followed by Ben Affleck in the Daredevil movie in 2003, and then, of course, everybody knows Charlie Cox's portrayal in the MCU from the Netflix series to the current stuff on Disney Plus now. Um, some fun facts about Daredevil. We wouldn't have the Avengers if Daredevil's first issue did not exist. So as I mentioned, Bill Everett was fired after the first issue of Daredevil because it took him six months to deliver a final pencil of the original issue. Um, and so during those six months, Dan Lee actually created him up with the concept of the Avengers to compete with DC's Justice League. And then because of further delays of Daredevil and getting that out to press, they actually ended up rushing the first issue of the Avengers to take its place. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that was my one fun fact that I found. Actually, there's quite a few. But um, also, uh, Matt Murdock was not the first Daredevil by that name. Actually, the first Daredevil was published by a now defunct publication uh, called Lev Gleason Publications. Um, and the character was not blind, but he was deaf and he was known for battling Nazis before World War II. 
And he also, Daredevil also had a brief fling with none other than Natasha Romanoff when he moved to San Francisco in the 1970s. However, it was kind of played off as light and like not sure what's happening because of the Comics Code of Authority that we've mentioned before, which had a strict rule that unmarried couples could not live in the same place together. So they were actually established <laughs> of living in the same building, but on different floors. <laughs> also, Daredevil issue number 47 was highlighted as one of Stan Lee's all-time favorite comics, um, which involves Daredevil visiting Vietnam troops and meets Willie London, who's a soldier blinded in battle, who was forced to resign from the NYC cops after being forced to take a bribe and then being caught from it. So then Daredevil helps him become a police officer again is basically the whole issue. Oh, cool. Interesting. Finally, my favorite the fact that I found out was that Daredevil was a big inspiration for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Really? Yes, yeah. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird took cues from Franklin Frank Miller style, who drew illustrated uh, Daredevil in the eighties um, when they were coming up with uh, the the TMNT. So wait, so how did then like it was just like the, like the visual style was inspired mm -hmm. by it, or the visual style? Mm -hmm. But I believe in the very first, um, I think, issue, like you actually see there's a thing about a boy being blinded by some that, goo after a truck accident. Like, it's very, very similar oh, to the... That, like, that goo on. is, in fact, the ooze that makes them into... Right. The, and if oh. if you look, like, so their mentor is Splinter, and, uh, oh, what's his name? Like, I'm trying to remember the name of, of Matt Murdock's mentor, but I think it's like... Uh, stick. stick. Stick, yeah. Stick, Splinter, Foot Clan. The, uh, oh, hand. the hand. So it's, it's just all like, parallel, all like almost like synonyms and antonyms. Yeah, yeah. It's like right. all they're just like huge Daredevil fans and Whoa. just like and Frank Miller fans and just went for that. <laughs> it all makes sense now. That's so interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and if you look at the early stuff too, tonally it's much closer to like a Frank Miller comic, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like it's not. Oh, wow. Not the heroes in the half shell skateboarding and eating yeah. pizza kind yeah. of thing. Like yeah, Donatello's so breaking someone's spine with his staff and stuff, or like it's hyper violent. It's hyper hyper violent. <laughs> oh, wow. it, it is, yeah. Like like uh, that's the thing. Like when why went like I reviewed the most current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I went to see the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie in the theater with my little brother. But I was a fan of the comics. He was a fan of the cartoon. So we both went in and like with that original movie, we both got a little bit of something that we both enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, so it's, but it's like, yeah, it's like, I wasn't sure going in, like what to expect because like, Oh, they totally sold out with those cartoons. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's all a tie back to daredevil. Oh, wow. Which oh, I want a daredevil cool. crossover. Like they got, yes. Batman. Yes. yeah. Like, yeah, because like, they went Batman. There was like a, they got pulled into the Gotham universe and, and it was like, that was actually one of the have you ever read uh, this is a weird tangent but it is technically tied back to daredevil for sure have you read the teenage mutant ninja turtle batman crossover comic or seen the movie no no i'd, I'd only i mean I, I watched the cartoon like all the time as a kid like we had vhs's of episodes record like 
that we taped, but I've never, yeah, I never. So it's, it's a pretty recent, it came out, I think last year or the year before. And okay. it's, it's, it's a fun read. It's, it's kind of like a, a middle, middle dark. Like it's a, it's a dark gray as opposed to the black dark of a dark Batman story. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit cheerier, but like there's one point where they're like, where the hell are we? Like, this is just like a, a the one time they've they placed Gotham in the real world. It's like this is just like a, a empty like we're, this should be an empty field in the middle of Chicago or, or Detroit or Michigan mm-hmm. or whatever. Like they, they kind of place Gotham in our real world in a way because like mm-hmm. they're from our world or maybe they're from the Marvel Universe. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're living in the sewers with the, the mutates and yeah. all of that stuff. But True. Yeah. Yeah, oh, interesting. that would be a good run to cover at a later yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, so I was wondering, Lainey, then, did you know about this Ninja Turtles uh, connection beforehand? Or was this like something that came up in your research? kind of? Thing, no, this or? just came up like as I was doing this research about Daredevil. And yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I had no idea. But then like as you were you were you two were saying, I was like, whoa. It was like, you know, that like piecing all the clues together on the board and Yeah. yeah. I'm very cool. Well and so so Dan, why did you choose this particular run of Daredevil? Well, because it's funny because like when I was younger, like I think the only time I ever really paid attention to Daredevil is in the nineties Spider Man cartoon he's in a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh and then like yeah, and so then there was like years later I think I read, I was going through, like, Jeff Loeb. He had all these different, like, color, like, his, like, color series. So he had Daredevil Yellow, which I thought was, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's kind of neat. And then after that, I then read this one, the uh, the Devil Inside and Out Part 1. And then I was like, whoa, like, Daredevil is serious. Like, uh, <laughs> Daredevil is intense. Cause, uh, and also, like, it was kind of interesting because I remember, like, Stan Lee saying how uh, when he created Daredevil, he always wanted to do like a superhero with a disability that they had to overcome. Although it sounds like also he kind of basically stole the idea and just gave it like a different sense or at least borrowed the idea somewhat from the original yeah. Daredevil. Mm. Uh, but yeah, like it was. And so like this one was really I was also I think like I just started getting into Ed Brubaker stuff. So like I saw like how he had like his whole like dark stuff that he was doing. And so I was like, yeah, like, let's get into, like, I wanted to get more of that. So uh, it was cool. Like, it was neat to see how, like, he bring his, like, very, like, film noir-esque vibe to Daredevil. Well, do you want to run us through the uh, the story for this this run? For sure, yeah. I, I had to pare it down because there are, like, so many details. So I'm going to try and go, yeah, like, sort of as, sort of briefly through it as possible. So, like. Issue one, we start like, so Matt Murdock is in prison in Rikers. So already I was like, what? Uh, like basically awaiting trial for being Daredevil. And everyone like knows he's Daredevil, but no one has proof. So they can't prove he's Daredevil. And there is like a Daredevil copycat beating up criminals in the street, but he has no connection with it. He does, like, they don't actually know who this person is. Uh, Foggy's trying to get Matt out on bail. Um, or at least to get him into protective custody, but they don't want to because, like, he's like, oh, you know, like, it's almost like he's really feels like he's being set up. 
Uh, and he's always like, there's so many times where criminals are trying to like corner him and get him in on that. And Ben, uh, Yurik at the Daily Bugle is trying to get to the bottom of it, but like more as a friend than as an actual reporter. Or like J. Jonah Jameson is basically going after Daredevil the same way he like goes after Spider Man. Uh, and um, so Foggy gets his like invest like investigator for hire Dakota North to come check on Matt. Uh, you can see like it's a really sweet friendship between Matt and Foggy when he Foggy visits him. So like it's like the one like sort of real like genuine like two like best friends who love each other in between like all this like macho and like really bloody violent stuff but then as foggy is leaving he gets led down the wrong hallway and stabbed to death while matt like hears from like solitary confinement and this is in ed brubaker's like first issue of writing daredevil he already kills daredevil's best friend so i was like what <laughs> um but that, like i mean this is also the guy who like killed uh captain america briefly and stuff like that so like he like no one is safe with uh brubaker uh, so then issue two begins with Foggy's funeral. Uh, Matt's like let out kind of for the day in custody to like attend. And he has like this, like his dead dad talking to him uh, about like, make, like in his head, like don't stoop too low. But like, he's already kind of made up. He's like, I'm going to show them a side of Matt Murdock. They haven't seen. Uh, so it's very much like in tone with Brubaker's like sleeper and criminal like noir series, which are these like, Amazing stories about like rundown guys who take one wrong turn down a path towards doom. Uh, so and uh, so it's got that kind of like uh, dark noir vibe to it, and he, like Daredevil, like it's just like Daredevil's going down hill fast. Uh, and you find out also that like Kingpin is in solitary at Rikers, where Murdoch is, and is obviously also up to something. Um, and so then uh, there's, yeah, like other stuff is happening. Uh, Becky Blake has to rep Matt at court to try and, yeah, like get him in protective custody. But they're like, no. Uh, one thing that I think also was cool, speaking of disability uh, representation, is they show like Becky's in a wheelchair, but it's never mentioned. It's never made a thing. It's just she's a character in a wheelchair who just does all the stuff that other people do, which I thought was kind of a cool bit of mm -hmm. representation. Um, I think, like, Brubaker is great throughout this, like, even characters who only show up for, like, a page, like, there's so much character about them that he gives in, like, both the dialogue and just sort of the way they look at each other and stuff like that. Uh, and so you can see, like, as Matt leaves the courthouse, he gives, like, a little, like, sort of dastardly smile that Ben Yurick sees, and, like, that's when, you know, like, oof, like... Oh, no! <laughs> like, it's like... Yeah, like bad, like bad for Matt's morality, and also like really bad for all the criminals in there. Because like there's the owl, who's like one of Daredevil's first villains. He tries to come to Matt in his cell to like, you know, corner him, but there aren't any guards or cameras there. So Matt just like breaks his arms and legs and teeth to get the information about like he needs about like who ordered the hit on Foggy. Uh, and then meanwhile. Uh, ben Urich meets with Dakota and is like, all right, we're going to track down the copycat Daredevil and save Matt. So then issue three, uh, like another, like a big bomb right away, Bullseye is being brought into Gen Pop, like in a Hannibal Lecter, full like, like not even like trying to hide it. It's like absolute like direct Hannibal Lecter, like 
gear with the mask and everything and then like everyone's like oh shit like it's really so that you've got like all these big bad guys there's like the uh black tarantula and um hammerhead all these guys who are all like being set up basically to surround daredevil in rikers uh the guard who led foggy to his death is found dead in the prison uh matt sneaks into hammerhead's cell and like beats the ever-loving shit out of him to get the name ivan murphy as the guy who paid to set up murdoch uh who used to be kingpin's bagman and so that's when like murdoch is like oh like kingpin um and so yeah like warden interrogates murdoch like don't cause trouble matt plays you know like innocent blind man is kind of the way he uh is trying to go uh and we see uh there's like uh you see like a pimp smacking around a sex worker and there's this guy who's like in a cloak reading the paper and he goes out and he snaps the pin's pimp's neck and immediately turns himself in and then you see oh boom it's the punisher he's also coming to rikers to join the party so it's like all of the most violent like of marvel characters like are all like now in rikers all in like the same cell block there with daredevil so issue four uh begins with boom like a uh quote-unquote suicide the guy who shanked foggy is hanged from his cell uh and like carlos the black tarantula he offers to give matt a shiv to take out kingpin but like murdoch refuses he's like like no he's like i haven't changed since going into prison like i'm gonna stick to my morals but like inside he's like yeah well we'll see um then obviously punisher turns up and uh kingpin's roommate his kind of like in the pen henchman turk is like all right like murdoch you're gonna meet kingpin in the prison yard tomorrow afternoon uh, and so meanwhile, like, uh, Dakota North is trying to tack, uh, track down uh, this lawyer, Lennox, who's supposed to be uh, connected to the copycat Daredevil. Matt wakes up with a shiv in his cell, courtesy of Black Tarantula, to like, hey, you want to use this on Fisk in the yard? But then while they're talking, he realizes that Kingpin's not to blame for Foggy's death. Uh, and then, so, like, they... Matt gets Becky to look into the visitor log for the day Foggy visited. Uh, and then we get this uh, big reveal that the other, basically the other three big bads, Hammerhead, Black Tarantula, and then this guy Morgan, are all conspiring to start a big prison riot tomorrow so they can kill Daredevil and Kingpin. And that's the end of issue four. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, issue five, which I remember like really standing out. It's like amazing cover work, art, although like, all the cover art like in this is really awesome. The artwork in this is really great throughout. Uh, I loved it. Um, so it begins like everyone's like ready for a riot. Everyone like uh, Matt's wife visits. And he's like, what are you doing here? Like, you know, like I told you to stay away kind of thing. And so she wants to remind him not to like, you know, lose it and go nuts. You know, remind him of his roots. Uh, and it's hard to say if it gets in, but she does like and Matt's just like, like to the guard basically like I'll like I'll make your life hell if you like don't make sure she gets out safely. Uh and basically just as they leave, then the guard lets a bunch of inmates into the armory. Uh and Matt breaks the guard's nose and like takes his uh baton just in time for like, you know, chaos, riot, weapons, burning toilet paper, 
which as someone with bowel disease, that was the most triggering for me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, so he, like, uh, Murdoch saves the warden from an attack. Basically, like, a bunch of guys were coming in uh, and gets him to call on the riot squad. uh, And then, like, Kingpin and some of his lackeys sneak into solitary and get Bullseye out of his, like, Hannibal Lecter lockup. And so... Basically, all the three bosses are watching as, like, everyone's, like, trying to, like, take out Daredevil and Kingpin, who are, like, fighting side by side, defending themselves. Like, you see, like, Matt's just trying to, like, you know, subdue people, like, you know, break a couple bones here and there, whereas Kingpin is, like, snapping necks and just, like, murdering left, right, and center. And then all of a sudden, like, Morgan, who's, oh, yeah, he's the, like, har- like head Harlem, like, crime boss, gets, like, a playing card in the neck. And then that's how, you know, like, oh, Bullseye's loose and he's, like, got a shotgun. Uh, Hammerhead dies in, but, like, you know, and I think he ends up getting killed by Bullseye. Uh, and basically, like, uh, yeah, so, like, everyone's fighting. There's, like, really cool details. Like, Fisk is, like, pummeling people, like, all while having, like, a knife sticking out of his back that he, like, I guess has forgotten in, like, the adrenaline, like, assuming thing of it. Uh and then again, like Black Tarantula also like falls to the ground with like an ace of spades in his heart. Uh, it's like Bullseye has become like very much like a rated R gambit kind of thing. Like, yeah, at this point, <laughs> like, he's like, instead of just like charging with kinetic energy that like shocks people, he's just like slicing people's jugulars with cards and stuff. Uh, and so, uh, Kingpin's trying to get them out, like, via, like, a helicopter, but Murdoch's, like, no, like, he's not letting Bullseye go. Uh, Bullseye shoots Kingpin in the knee, and then Murdoch knocks Bullseye out with the butt of the shotgun, uh, and he, like, goes to uh, Punisher's cell, who's been reading this whole time, and then he's like, here, take this gun, we gotta get the hell out, kind of thing. And so then it goes to, like, the last issue, issue six, uh, and so, uh, you see, like, the copycat, Daredevil, he's recording this personal log, and, uh, Dakota North is, like, trailing these two guys, uh, who she thinks, like, have, like, a connection to Almanix, and they approach her, but before she can get shot, she, like, knocks the gun away and, like, cracks one guy in the jaw, and then the fair da- fake Daredevil, like, knocks out the other guy, um... And then she realizes, like, oh, wait, I know you, like, recognizes his voice, which later on we find out, spoiler alert, is uh, Iron Fist, uh, who, like, actually thought he was helping uh, Matt by pretending to be Daredevil and going around. He didn't realize there was, like, other sort of, uh, like, you know, like, other intentions involved in this. Uh, And so, like, basically... Like, Matt and Punisher fake, like, a hostage situation with the Punisher, like, holding Matt Murdock hostage and they take a helicopter. He drops Matt off in, in Manhattan who then like goes and then he confronts the real daredevil finding out it's Danny Rand. And then, uh, basically they go into Alton Lennox, the lawyer's office trying to, you know, like look for clues, look for stuff. And Dakota and Ben Yurick are also there. The office has been cleaned out, but Dakota like clicks reprint on the fax machine because this is 1998. So, you know, very <laughs> relevant. And mm-hmm. That's the high tech at the time uh, and finds a first class ticket to Monaco, which also I found like if you're trying to hide, why would you go first class? Like, 
I'm on the run, but like in style. <laughs> uh, and so then, uh, basically, like, uh, oh, the warden also like covers up for Murdoch, basically as like a thank you for see quiet thank you for saving me. And the FBI director who put all these big criminals in Rikers with Murdoch gets a call from a senator, like basically saying like, "Yo, your job's in trouble." And like, actually, is fairly like a cab i think for like a 1998 comic like it like the cops aren't painted with a pretty uh picture i find in this mm-hmm. one which is kind of neat like uh um and basically it ends with matt getting on a plane under a fake name michael murdoch which isn't that fake name that fake of a name it's like his middle name instead of, as his first name isn't that his twin brother that he claims as daredevil as well yes as my- oh yeah. right that's right yeah that's true yeah yeah uh, and so then we see, and then like we see, we like the biggest twist of all these, like so many twists in this uh, run. But then we see someone with a walker pick up a newspaper, and <gasps> it's foggy. So he's hiding out in secret, ready to assume a new de- identity. Like turns out he wasn't dead. Like what? Uh, and so this kicks off a wild run for Daredevil, where like he just keeps going down like a darker, darker and darker path, and things really spiral um like there's another great run there's like volume two of this run and then Mm -hmm. there's hell to pay and there's some other stuff with the hand like it really pushes him like further and further and like it was the first time where i'm like oh no like maybe ed brubaker's doing too much to my beloved hero (laughs) he really uh because he really puts his superheroes through the ringer but uh yeah i just thought it was really it was a really cool, like, mind-opening uh, series for me. I really like. Yeah. To listeners, if you are going to read this run, all I can say is keep going because it just gets yeah. better. It really I, does. And, yeah. And it, the one thing I would recommend too is maybe actually because I I read the first couple of issues and I was like I went back like a couple of runs to get the lead up because like this is real noir. Like you get like mm. pastiches. Like Frank Miller is like noirish. But I mean, he captures the tropes of noir without capturing the nuance. Like the nuance of a good noir is there is an onion. There's layers upon layers upon layers of mystery and darkness and twists and double crosses. And like like Ben, I hated Ben by the end of like the third or fourth issue in this this run. Like Ben Urich, he's like this beloved Spider-Man character, and I'm like, you're a dick. Yeah, you know, like you have like, oh, I'm a journalist. I have to. Like, yes, and yeah. I'm like, you know, there's a moral line that you try. Like, when is your you know you're hurting people to get to the truth? But what truth does that solve? That or serve that sells JJ's, you know, kind of right wing paper. You know, right. like the Toronto Sun you know, <laughs> of New York kind of thing. But if you go back further, you see like the tr- first. You know, it starts with, um daredevil like the the arc that sets this up daredevil basically displaces the kingpin and becomes the kingpin then there's the trial where all of these like reed richards tries to stand up for him and sit and the judge is like shut up and sit down richards i know who you are i don't care and like foggy's like i told them not to come why are they here they're making this worse (laughs) and it just it escalates and then you know um laney you mentioned um mentioned black widow then in the run after this it starts folding black widow and electra mm-hmm. more and more into the story and culminates and it's just this like perfect 
sort of dark noir story that encapsulates so much of the biggest characters in um in daredevil's history in a way that really gives you a clean break for, for him to start telling a new story because it ties up all of the loose ends there's nothing left at the end of this to like sort of have to carry over yeah yeah like and i really i really loved it and it had a lot of my favorite parts of noir like even like the two henchmen like alton lennox's goons like merv and chico which are like great noir names yeah uh but like you get like so much out of them from like just like a little glimpse at them and like turk who's like kingpin's roommate like you fought like he's only in a few panels here and there but like there's so much about him as a character i found and like every character is treated with respect like turk you know they Mm -hmm. they establish oh he was his like well you know while the kingpin's in jail, he's his errand boy, right? And, and Matt knows this, and, and Matt's immediately, "Oh, so you're uh, running errands for for Fisk again, eh?" And he's like, "Yeah," <laughs> and it's like, so there's like, and like every like Dakota North, like kind of a throwaway character, not really explored very much in a lot of it, but they give her like so much depth. At one point, in I think the last issue, when she's staking out the lawyer's place and the henchmen come out um she's talking about how she does ascetic carolines so she's an amateur stand-up comedian right Mm. yeah which you're like okay that's an interesting detail i have never literally never seen in any comic book but it just shows like there's an internal life to these characters they're not just like there to displace and drive along the story they're there like like there's a recent series of Star Wars stories where it's like from a certain point of view, where it's like a stormtrooper's point of view on the Death Star, or like Ray's dad's point of view. Like just characters who are like in it for a frame, and they're they're sort of backstory. And it's like you could do that with literally any of these characters. Yeah, you could get you get an entire story from their point of view. Yeah. I want to see the issue where she does a set at Caroline's for the first time. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> no, I like this because like my world of Daredevil is very much through TV shows and movies. Like my first one was the terrible Ben Affleck 2003, which I was like <laughs> just starting. Like I was preteen back then. So I thought it was really good. But then like watching it back after I was like, Ooh, yeah, but like, what I love about like Charlie Cox's portrayal is like he has this like this calmness like there's like this wittiness or like this like charm about him that he's like even when he's in trouble he's still somewhat in control of the situation in a way so to see just like on the page uh the death of Foggy just crush him like and him being in solitary confinement and just like seeing like that kind of it, like yeah like uh, you you it was an issue you felt more than read in a lot of ways which was really cool yeah because I, I remember at the end of the first issue i was like because like, the first time i read it when he's like you know i can't hear his heartbeat i can't hear his heartbeat and i figured i was like well there'll be an explanation like someone like blocked his heartbeat or something like that or something, whatever yeah and then the second issue begins with funeral i'm like well no but like Surely that's like another bot or like whatever, like yeah. and you know that and that right, funeral, I mean, yeah. Oh, so good that that just like three or four pages of that funeral, mm-hmm. so yeah. much tension built into that moment. And that's the thing, like this entire run, 
every issue ups the tension and like every like if you look at like the different runs that tie into each other every run ups like escalates the tension from the previous run every issue in each run escalates the tension up until the very breaking point when the mystery is resolved it's so great like setting it in like a prison is like the perfect pressure cooker situation to like build that tension in such a way it's so cool yeah yeah Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's like a season of like, a, let's say like a Marvel TV series where you yeah. have it where then like the season, like issue number six is the season finale of that run. And what's cool about it, too, is if you look at the entire sort of series of arcs, this is the like in, in the story structure. This is like the the break going into the third act when you get resolution if you look at a a three act structure like this is the big breaking point where the tension hits its peak and you get this major change which is why i loved frank castle and they're like i hate the punisher as a character Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways i mean not so much for the punisher but how he's misunderstood like the like the guy who created the punisher is like ACAB, like 100%. He hates cops. He hates that they wear Punisher logos because he's like, they're literally the people Frank Castle is indicting. Mm. Just not getting the point. Um, But Frank Castle, at his best, in the role of the Punisher, is a counterpoint to Peter Parker and Matt Murdock. He, He serves as a mirror to those characters to say like you're who you are because I'm who I am and the world needs you. And and usually he does like they kind of have that in the Netflix show, that moment yeah. where he's tied up on the roof, which is taken straight carte blanche from uh, a Daredevil run. There's that that's in one of the comics. But usually you know, Frank Castle kind of like, oh you're not going far enough. But in this one it was the opposite. He was like just wanted to make sure, you know, you're okay. Like, yeah. The world needs you to be you. Mm-hmm. They don't need another me <laughs> kind of thing, which right. is like, yeah. oh, yeah. And it just really shows like Punisher is a condiment. He's not a meal. Uh, like he, mm. he accentuates and and flavors a story where you use him as a good, good heightener to be like, or, or like he's MSG, basically. He makes something taste better. Yeah. <laughs> so he makes spider-man when yeah. spider-man's feeling like oh i need to hurt people you know if he reminds spider-man oh no you're okay and when daredevil is like feeling really low and wants to hang out with ninjas again he's like oh no 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 you're okay yeah. and and that's what he served here and to the point like you think he's gonna go crazy killing people during the riot but he's just like no i'm good <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> So da- Daredevil's the Mr. Noodles and Punisher's the MSG. Yes. Yes. There you go. Or he's like the ketchup on Daredevil's burger. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many little moments too in this series that I love. Like like just going back to the funeral, like Foggy's mom. Yeah. Like that exchange yeah. between her and Matt, just like, ooh, ooh. But even like the setup for that being the one prison guard so at that point, Jessica Jones was pregnant with Luke Cage's child. Mm. So and he sort of like pushes like the prison guard pushes Jessica to keep her away from Matt. And like Luke, of course, is like, you just did what? 
So, like, so there's this big fight going on there, which lets the mom slip by. So it's like it makes sense. Just little things like, you know, the cops are bad, but they're still doing their job. And they're like, you know, it's not like, oh, we're just going to let this person in. And like the, the prison guards are corrupt, but not all of them, but enough of them. And, you know, the, the, the warden doesn't want to do any of what he's doing, but like uh, he's getting pressure from the FBI guy who it turns out is getting played from further down the stream kind of thing. And it's just it's yeah. an onion, like I said, an onion, a delicious yeah. onion. It, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, all the different like little intricate bits, which I found was nice because like not everything gets fully resolved. So then it's still like even after six issues, it's like you've got enough of a satisfying conclusion, but there's still all this other stuff you need. And like it's like, all right, into the next season. Yeah. Yeah. And one of, I'm trying to remember her name, um, the White Tiger. Um, she's uh... an FBI agent. She she. She's the FBI agent oh. who's fired. Um, so her and Jessica mm. work with Ben to to get to the details because Ben realizes he's you know. But I mean, and the thing with Ben yeah. too is all of this is happening because Kingpin played him, right? With, yeah, with the Murdoch papers in the previous arc, um, which was just like so. This is kind of his fault, and he's like, mm. eh, I don't know what to do, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> But it's like it's cool though because Jessica, like, there's this exchange between the two of them, Jessica and Ben, and she's like, she can see, she knows that he's like, he didn't mean to hurt people because that's such a Jessica thing. She does what she thinks the right thing is, and there's collateral damage because that's just the story of Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. and she's like, Ben did the right thing, like ethically from his moral perspective, and that's really again a theme throughout all of this is like people doing what they think the right thing is but it's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like the, the, the nuance there. But it's still within all their characters. So I think like yeah. it shows that like Brubaker really understands all these characters, but then wants to really push them like to like, you know, as far, you know, like really like drag them as far as he can. And there's like fun little, like the use of owl. It's like that's such a deep cut character in a lot of ways, and yeah. it's an inter because the because interestingly, the uh, that character was could have like he became a nobody character, like a, a toss away character, uh, or just like kind of a rogue gallery for 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 Daredevil, but they they were almost like a way bigger character. But they just got cut because Stanley decided to throw in a new character, um, because like he was made in like he's he's a like an older character from 1964. He's in, like Daredevil number three, I think. Is where and he's also is. like he he's maybe like by modern standards a bit of a goofy character, like a super villain who yeah. dresses up as an owl. Like is kind yeah not as I mean that said, Batman Court of Owls found a way to make owls very intimidating. <laughs> yes. I will say, as Laney yes. showed us. Yeah, but, but like, the difference think... is Leland has giant hair, like the 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 ears yeah. of a, a great horned owl kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But like in X Men number four, or sorry, X Factor number four, he was almost the head of the Alliance of Evil. So he was originally oh. supposed to be the leader of like this world dominating mutant supervillain group, and then then Stanley's like. 
now. Let, let's 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 put a. I got an idea for a character, and they add Apocalypse. So he almost oh, wow. the same spot as Apocalypse yeah. in the X Men universe. I mean, it probably would have been a little bit different, like not ancient Egyptian first first mutant kind of weird yeah. backstory Apocalypse has, but but yeah. So it was like. I think he's in a more interesting character for that change, though, because again, it comes back to these characters that have have a story to them. Like, not everything is like super big, you know. Like, it's kind of cool in that regard. For sure, I I always wanted in the Daredevil TV show, like, even though I was like, this might look silly, but at, when they introduce him in the first season, uh, where he's more just like a corrupt businessman, I'm like, oh, are we gonna get to see like a live action like guy in an hour yeah. costume? Thing, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm real 60 year old guy. Like, I would have loved fine. for them to do this run, and uh, they, and they kind of were kind of building towards it. Like, they were pulling mm-hmm. like different storylines from different mm-hmm. Daredevil runs. Yeah, um, so it would have been really I like to see D'Onofrio and and you know, Fox like in this scenario, like. Can you like the the beauty of the hallway fight? But can you imagine that with the prison riot, like just them just holding their yeah. ground? Yeah, that would that would have been so amazing. Um, but yeah, I I'm I kind of like I'm looking forward to the new Daredevil stuff, especially since they're leaning into the more fun aspects of the character, like mm-hmm. his period in San Francisco. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of like he's one of the characters who does have an interesting dark period. Like, it's not just grimdark. There's, like, nuance there. There's, like, story that's well-crafted. Yeah. Uh, you know, as opposed to, like, like going back to that X-Men issue that I, or that or run that I did, like, Magneto got turned into a child and then got super-aged again, and then he thinks aliens are, like, using his brain, and he goes and kills everybody. <laughs> it's like, yeah, a 13-year-old came up with this premise. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's like, you think it's conv- you think it's smart, but really it's just convoluted. <laughs> yeah. Just like throwing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, where it's like Yeah, like everything is so well paced in this kind of stuff and so on. And it's yeah. I mean, this is like cause like this is why like I uh, you can see I think a lot of Ed Brubaker in a lot of the MCU stuff. Cause I mean he created the Winter Soldier and he also mm-hmm. has done like like finds the right way to like really like do the dark turns on major characters but in like a thoughtful way that isn't just sort of like i'm a dark serious comic book writer so like there's all extra violence and like extra womanizing in my like arcs and stuff like that and i mean i i appreciate that like matt feels guilt Mm. a lot of like yeah you, you don't get that in a lot of comics kind of thing or when you do it's like carried to a ridiculous level and doesn't really feel believable kind of thing. Yeah. So just going around the table, what's every like Laney, what's what's your favorite moment in, in this run? Oh I mean I think yeah, I think it would be like that end of the first issue with like it's a it's a dark moment, but with Foggy's death, like it just kind of set the tone for the rest of the run in such a like deep and meaningful way so yeah for sure and you feel like you really feel that like anguish and pain yeah Yeah. like like in the next next issue when he's just like punching the wall in solitary Mm -hmm. and it's just like 
that he's broken like he's broken in that moment and and then you have like the crime boss come in and, are you just like talking to yourself dude and <laughs> kind of thing where it's like it's like oh this is this is not good <laughs> uh, i think like you even see like his like bloody knuckles and like the blood on like the wall and stuff yeah oh yeah that's a key moment how about you matt for you uh i think for me it's more like it's it's the way it it like like the pressure cooker scenario situation with with every every issue just upping it a little bit it's almost like you know like the there's that you know, story you put a frog in a pot and you turn up the heat slowly kind of thing and it's not going to notice it's being hot until it's too late it kind of feels like that for for matt where he's doesn't realize but he kind of does but he doesn't is so it's like there's this this pressure this it's like ticking over a little bit over a little and then the payoff of him not breaking like mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he's able and like he's just able to keep it together to get the people he loves off the island. Um, he was never really going to hurt that guard, but he's just like and, and like that. They don't tell you what he said. It's just I just tell him what I'm going to do to him if they don't make it off this island. <laughs> and he's the look of terror. So it's like they know how to build te- like. You know, like Brubaker knows how to build tension without going too far. And and it just it kept me engaged the entire time in a way that I I'm often not when you get into these sort of crime stories. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And and I think for me it was this like this too. I do love like when uh, Merv and Chico try like advance on Dakota and like how like she like knocks the gun away like break like or basically like cracks his jaw. It was like oh man like and like you said she's like an amateur comedian. I was like oh man Dakota should like teach other comedians especially like other like female and like non-binary comedians like self-defense classes for when you go to like a really <laughs> sketchy open mic or something yeah. uh so there's like that moment and like the image of like yeah like sort of murdoch and kingpin like side by side like fighting off people and like kingpin just having that knife sticking out of his back which you saw someone stab him with earlier but i guess he's just like so like thick and muscular that he's just like yeah, like it's just a, like it's just a little scratch in my back. I'll get it it's later. A flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just a flesh wound. I'm busy like snapping necks here. Like, yeah, yeah. But it was cool, like you said. Like it's like this like climactic fight that like you know you can pick. Like I could picture like how it would look like cinematically, like mm-hmm. on a big screen or whatever. Awesome. Well, thanks for choosing this uh, this ep- episode, yeah, this you. run, and thanks for the history, Laney. Yeah, thanks for all those cool tidbits I didn't know. That's really cool. Excellent. All right. Well, up, up, and away. Let's uh, call it a day. All righty. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Detecting the Marvelous, a Far From Here Productions and ShowbizMonkeys.com co-production. Your producers have been Dan Rosen, Lainey LaRose, and Matt Ardell. Music composed by Glenn Bouchon. And art by Ben Steamroller. Thanks for listening, and remember, true believers, Excelsior! Excelsior!